Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. Life is a series of choices. Good and bad, the choices we make become experiences that shape our lives. This week's show is about getting back on track the artistic way. Textile designer and fiber artist Melanie Testa struggled at first to find her way in this world, but on this episode of Craft Sanity, she's going to inspire us with the story of how she crafted her way out of a bad situation. Today, she's an up-and-coming artist living in Norwalk, Connecticut. Her freezer paper resist project is featured in the spring issue of Quilting Arts magazine. You can check that out at your local newsstand. And after the show, please visit CraftSanity.com, where you can find Melanie's project instructions for the Wonder Under Foil Surface Design Technique she's going to talk about during today's show. So, um, Melanie, uh, how old are you? I am 36 years old. 36? Well, let's say it with pride here. A lot of women hesitate that I interview. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's yeah, wonderful. No, I don't have an age thing. I, you know, we walk in this world on this earth for a very short time, and I'm going to enjoy all of it. Oh, I'm with you on that. I, I look at it every year. I'm here as a, a kind of seniority, you know, on the planet. <laughs> like you finally, because I think, I, I know in the 20s, I think a lot of women especially uh, kind of struggle, you know, to figure out who am I, what am I doing here. Right. And um, I was yeah. very vague back then. Yeah, well, I'm approaching 30. I'll be 30 this summer, and I'm 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 cool with that. I'm like, uh-huh. all right, it's, it's about time. You know, I'm I'm coming into my own here. You know, right. so, so anyway, um, moving back to you here, um, where do you live? I live in Norwalk, Connecticut. Okay, have you been been there all your life, or is this just where you settled? I I have lived in Connecticut for most of my life. I grew up in Guilford, and um, it's right along. It's you know, it's on the Long Island Sound, so I did a lot of sailing and a lot of fun things like that. And um, when I was 19 or 17, 18 years old, I hitchhiked across the country and um, spent a couple of years on the West Coast. Wait a second. So you were how old when you? Did... I, I think it was 18 when I did that. So did you finish? You, you were after like kind of after graduation or something. Decided to hit the road. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it was really exciting, but I wouldn't suggest that um, young females do it. All by themselves. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you came out of it okay. I did. It actually, um, you know, I got sort of into drugs a little bit. And um, the thing that really endears me about your podcast is your little introduction where you say craft sanity and the therapy thing. Because I really, uh, you know, I came out of that whole situation knowing that I had to, you know, get my act back together again. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started quilting. So, and, and I, I guess I'm just intrigued because I've always been someone who's who makes, um, I guess, the safest decision possible. It could be because I covered police in court for a while and I know how dangerous things could be. And it usually stops me in my tracks, you know, thinking about the worst case scenario. But, so I'm, I'm intrigued by this um, across the country hitchhiking expedition that you went on. How far did you go? You went from, you know, all the way to the coast and back or did you? I, um... I hitchhiked out there. Okay. And some, when I had enough money, I used a bus, and I I got myself out there. I sort of, you know, I just needed a break, and I didn't really want to go to college straight out of high school. 
And it wasn't so kosher with my family. I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) But I just, you know, I forced the situation and I just did it. And I, you know, I had a couple friends that I knew that were out on the West Coast and that I could end up with or, you know, crash at their their place. And I, it was just a lot of fun. And now did you, um, how long did you stay out there? I, a little more than a year and a half. Okay. And what were you doing while you're out there? Did you, were you, did you have a job or did you? I, hardly. I, um... I teched posters for local bars and nightclubs during the days, and I crashed with my friend who had a school bus, and we made bread and hung out, and we were generally just hippies. Just hippies. Now, did you li- when you say your friend had a bus, do you mean you lived on a bus? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was cool, but she recreated it. It was beautiful. Now, did you have plumbing or anything? See, this is a big thing for me. I don't really go anywhere where there's no running water. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a thing. I need a bathroom facility that, you know, works up to my standards, um, which is could be primitive. I just need some kind of bathroom. But it, Yes, she had both a bathroom and a shower. Oh, wow. In but the... we would have to, um, you know, it worked sort of along the lines of an RV. Okay, okay. And we didn't have a lot of money, so we used to steal into this place in order to, you know, clear out our septic and then gain some, you know, 50 gallons of water so we could take showers. Wow, so it actually from the outside looked like a school bus. It actually did, yes. Well, that sounds actually quite fun. But on the inside, it was, you know, it was it was really cush, cush inside. And did she do this herself, the retrofitting? She did. Wow. I couldn't even begin to know what to do first. Um, but she and her dad did it together, so I'm sure her dad gave her a lot of help. But, sure. You know, they, they really did a good job. They used, like, um, bowling alley floors for um, for their countertops, and they set an oven in there. Wow. They built up a bed. Now, is this an artist friend of yours? Is this person an artist that did um, this? Not really. She's She's a mechanic now. Wow. Well, she sounds extremely creative. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of run in these circles, and we're all, we're not even out of your teenage years yet, and you, no. you've, we're already to some fascinating tales here. Well, how this is going to be wonderful, I have a feeling. Um, so, okay, so you spent some time living on a school bus out in, where exactly were you? Oregon. Um, Oregon. Okay, you're in Oregon living on a school bus. At what point did you decide? Now, did you have contact with your family back home? Okay. It was rare, and it was all on, you know, my dime. Okay. Whenever I wanted to at that point. I was sort of shirking off my old personhood. Okay. And what? who were you before you were living on a school bus out in Oregon? I was just uh, an average kid in a semi-dysfunctional family, and um, I just needed a break. And I wanted to find me, so I I looked for myself geographically rather than internally. I see. Okay. And then it sounds like you, at some point, uh, while you're out in Oregon, decided. Well, I guess can you tell me at what point you decided time to come home? <laughs> <laughs> well, my time to to come home was, you know, I said I had gotten into drugs a little bit. I did a little too much, and uh, the state of California took me into a, a mental hospital. Oh goodness. Yeah, and and then sent me home. And it was because you, the drugs. You, did you get just caught or arrested or what happened? No, I um, 
I knew I needed help, and I was much too high for my own person. And I walked into a hotel and just asked for help. And so they called the police. The police came and got me. They didn't really arrest me. It was because you voluntarily said, look, I'm, I'm in a little too deep here. Yeah. Okay. Well, good for you. A lot of people don't come to that point of reckoning. So where yeah. they recognize that with themselves. So, so that was very good that you did that. Um, and how long did you spend? Uh, in a, were you in like a hospital or something? That Yeah. I spent a month there. And was that, I can't imagine how, that must have been a very difficult time for you to uh, to come out of that. It was. And apparently it was quite frightening for my parents because the doctors there had said that I would never be the same again. Wow. What kind of, if you don't mind me asking, what kind of drugs did you do? I did LSD. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's that's a bad one. So yeah, uh, not like there's any good drugs. I don't want listeners to think I'm endorsing no. any kind of drugs because I oh, don't. No. But, um, but, yeah, that's, that's what a, I would suggest. Yeah. That, that, you know, that's... Far from it. It I sounds like that's I a prefer this lifestyle. Sure. So, so you, I mean, they, so the doctors were telling your parents that you were quite. I mean, this was they felt feared could be just completely damaging for you. Right. And um, it sounds like you've surpassed their expectations. I did. I um, when I got home, I just I reassessed myself and I was like, Melanie, this doesn't work. And um, slowly, I took my first traditional quilting class. And that's what I, you know, I often tell people it's a really good idea to get a hobby. You know, if you're having a little bit of trouble, if you're in a spot of emotional trouble, take on a hobby. And that's what I did. So um, my first quilting class I, I took at, I guess I was 21 at that point. And this is after you're back home and you're you're feeling better. Yeah. And um, no drugs in my body, no you know, it's time to clean up and, like, fly straight, fly right. Right. And so the, the, that first quilting class, um, why did you pick quilting? Um, I had, there was a quilting store in downtown, uh, downtown, and I fell in love with fabric, with conversational prints, really. And so then I decided, okay, I have to learn something about this. And, and so there was... In my same town, uh, art uh, school, a tiny little local art school, and they gave quilting classes. So I spent one hundred and twenty dollars and and got myself in deep. Yeah. <laughs> and then, did you know right away that this that quilting was going to be one of your things, something that you'd keep I doing? I did. Yeah. I did, and I pretty much right then and there decided that I needed to go to school for for textile design. And um, and then started to work toward, you know, achieving those goals. And I did go to um, FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, at the age of 27. And that's in New York, correct? It is. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a pretty good school. I mean, was that hard to get into that school? Um, interestingly enough, it is very difficult to get into the fashion program and the toy design program there. Okay. But it's not as difficult to get in the textile and surface design program. Okay, because there's probably a lot. Of, well, obviously, New York is going to be very competitive for fashion designers, people coming there to become the next, uh, you know, to have their designs on a, yeah. So so that's really, so, so you were able to, you got in and, um, and you said you were 27 when you yeah. did that. So what did you do in between that first quilting class and age 27 going off to, to college? Uh-huh. I um I made 
That was, you know, that when I say that my my 20s were sort of vague, I I quilted on and off for that time. Okay. And I never, I hardly ever finished anything. And I, you know, I knew that I was quite creative and and crafty and artistic, but I, you know, I couldn't really go anywhere with it. I had, I didn't have focus at that point. So, um, you know, I, when I put my portfolio together to get into textile design school, I, um, that was when I really started to buckle down. And I, you know, I did some drawings from, from life. I put together, I used to paint a lot of, you know, like wooden prefab clock type things. I, anything that I could think of is what I put together for a portfolio at that point. And then, you know, when I got into school, it, it was pretty amazing. You know, like FIT is a, um, they're more, it's not so much of a, an art school as it is a trade school. So uh, the schooling I got was very interesting in that respect. They, um, they really tried to teach you how to present yourself, how mm-hmm. to speak, how to, you know, place your design in a designer's um, space. You know, and so it was very interesting. And, and, and of course they, you know, gave me lessons in drawing flowers and painting flowers and, and putting a repeat together. And, um, all while teaching me to be a professional person in, you know, that genre. So it wasn't like, I think a lot of people who haven't gone to art school, um, it could be like nine to fivers who are a little disenchanted with their nine to five life <laughs> think that artists go to art school and just kind of sit around and you know talk about abstractions <laughs> and do painting and oh, just no. it's very hippie-ish. But I don't think people fully appreciate. It's good that you're explaining this because I think that's important for you know for people to know too that in you know art is serious. I mean, it's a business. You have to be able to market yourself, and it's yeah. probably a lot more challenging than, well, I know it's a lot more challenging than um, going 9 to 5 and having someone pay you a check at the end of the week. Right. Um, it's not exactly that easy <laughs> for artists to it's just, not. yeah. So that how long did you spend in school? How long I did it take you? It was a two-year program. And was it, um, it was at a bachelor's program or? Associate degree. Associate degree, okay, okay. And, um, so, uh, you know, over the course of two years, we put together a portfolio of probably 40 strong pieces that I could then show to textile houses in Manhattan. And I soon, I quickly learned once I graduated from school that I'm not a New York kind of girl. And I, I'm real, like I can, I'm a do person. I don't know how to describe that so much. Like, I'm not so much, it, it's difficult for me to um, take a lot of direction and then do something. If you just show me how to do something, I'll just do it. And so, um, you know, the textile art design world, There's a, there are stylists, and the stylists say we need a 15-color design with, you know, it's got to be cabbage roses is, I'm sorry, cabbage roses, um, and birds, and some, I don't know, twigs. 
<laughs> and so instead of, of letting the artist just create something, is that... There's a lot of direction. Yeah. Which is, which is very good. But I, I quickly learned that it wasn't quite me. And so um, I, straight out of school, I did land a job for about six months at a textile house, which was very interesting. But, I, you know, commuting back and forth from Connecticut to New York just wasn't me, and I quickly started looking for new jobs. I, I found a job restoring vintage poster art. Now, that's what you're currently doing, right? Uh, yes. Just recently, I cut my hours way back, and I'm now focusing on my own art, which is very exciting. But, yes, I restore vintage poster art for, for quick cash. So is, that's kind of how you're 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 supporting your giving yourself the freedom to be an artist. It sounds like you have that's your some revenue source coming in. Yeah. And and what exactly? Just to kind of explain quickly, I know that's not really your focus on your art right now, but what are you doing? You take old people send in old posters and you restore them. Right. Galleries and museums send in vintage posters, anything from you know like Toulouse Lautrec to Andy Warhol and I don't you know travel posters from the 1940s and 50s, and I I will replace uh, missing paper. Uh, you know the place where I work has all, all of these supplies. I, I'll replace missing paper and I'll recreate uh, missing images. And I use um, water reversible, meaning watercolor, colored pencils, markers, media to make it look as good as I possibly can. Oh wow, that must be really interesting to see some of the posters come in. That it is, and it's really affected my own personal art. You know, because I really like to evaluate the drawing style, the you know how the images were created. Well, and it sounds like that's, um, well, some people might, you know, get a job at a restaurant waiting tables or something. You're actually working, I mean, your art, you're using your art right. and you're training as an artist, um, even in the, you know, job that you do. And you work, um, how many days a week do you do that? Right now, about two. Okay. So I had been doing it full time until just December. Okay. And what made you make that decision? I think a lot of artists do kind of struggle with that. Okay, um, do I... Take, you know, do I cut? Because if you work full time at a job, you, there is not time, at least not adequate time, really, to spend working on art. Because I mean, it's, it's exhausting. And there, I've ta- interviewed people who do both things for a period of time, but it gets to you, every artist. They decide to make a go of it. They get to the point where they're like, you know what? It's time to cut back and really dedicate myself to my art. And at what point did you decide, or what kind of equipped you and prepared you for that decision to cut back and see what happens? I I knew that it was time, and it you know I'm one of those people who believes that um, what you put into the world is what you get out of it, and so you know it was time for me to just push myself and get out of my comfort zone. You know, I mean, it's very easy to take the paycheck and you know and, and do everything that you are used to doing. But, you know, I just, I, there are so many creative things that I do that I just didn't have the time. And it, it just came to the point where I just had to do it. 
And it's funny because the week that I went to my boss and I said, listen, you know, it's not that I don't like this job. I just, I need time for myself. So I'm going to quit. That same week, someone came to me and said, I would like it. I would like to commission three baby quilts from you. And so then I felt like it was a conspicuous benefit, like the world was telling me, aha, Melanie, this is something that you can do for cash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, so, and then, you know, like a week and a half after that, a, a long-lost friend called me up and said, could you, you know, paint a, a 12-foot square canvas rug for me? And all of a sudden, jobs just started to happen. You know, like I jumped and, and the net appeared. Right, right. You know, I mean, it was like real. It, it was pretty amazing. Well, and it's it, and would you probably have had to turn down some of those requests um, for your work if you were working full time? Absolutely. So, well, good Absolutely. for you. And I do believe that things work out. Like, you know, if you just gotta have some faith, it, you know, it does take faith. Yeah, because if you don't have faith, you're going to be clinging to that paycheck and crying. <laughs> yeah. It really you know? does. I mean, because I mean, it, it, there's going to be spots of not having any money, and then there's going to be spots of having being plush. Right, right. You know, and and finding the happy place between those two places is what's important for an artist. Well, I think it's wonderful that you took the leap and the net appeared. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that it, it probably does appear for most people too. I think if you, yeah. you know, if you're thoughtful about what you're doing, it, things work out. Um, and I know that you, you describe yourself as a textile designer and fiber, fiber artist. And I'd like to kind of have you talk a little bit about your, your creative process and how you get from, cause we know that you, you, you initially got into quilting was your, your mm-hmm. first medium, it sounds like, that you got into. And, um, then you did some painting and several, and drawing and several other things in art school. But if you can t- take people through kind of how you create when you decide, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm working today on my art. What do you do? Uh, are you? I know you visual, you do some visual journaling from mm-hmm. what I've read um, about you online. Um, if you can kind of take take us through that process. I one of the things that I really appreciate about my approach is that it varies. You know, I. I love to visual journal, and and for me that could be as simple as um, doodling patterns onto pages, painting over them, gluing rip sheets on top of them, and then painting over it again. You know, layering imagery on top of imagery, and then uh, you know if one of those doodles really speaks to me, I might take that doodle and you know, cut a stamp that I then stamp onto cloth using either, like, thickened dye or or paint. You know, and, and pretty much once I'm done creating a piece of fabric, I have to go to my sewing machine and cut it up and sew it back together again. And so it's sort of, I, I like to think of what I do as a very holistic sort of process because it's, it just it's all inclusive with all of the things that make me the happiest. Well, as it should be. I think that's the best kind of work is stuff that you're happy doing and it doesn't seem like work at all. Right. And what kind of uh, notebook do you use for your journal? Um, up until this point, just last week, a friend made me a journal with watercolor paper. Okay. But prior to this beautiful journal, I have been using moleskin. 
Okay, just the blank pages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the sketchbook ones because okay. they make quite a few different kinds. Yeah, those are pretty cool. They're awesome Notebooks. books. Yeah, They're really. And the paper is somewhat like bristleboard, which is a paper that gouache artists often use. So it's durable and can withstand just about any artistic technique. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not good for watercolor, transparent watercolor, but it is for opaque watercolors and acrylic. So you're able to, do you work every day? Do you make an entry every day? I don't, I don't complete an entry every day. I will add to pages on a regular basis. I would say that I probably work in my journal three or four days a week. Okay, so you're, I think some people try to, and I go through phases like this myself where I'm like, okay, every day I'm doing something. It's January 1st, I'm doing this again every day. And then, you know, I, I fall away from it, and then you feel guilty, and then, you know, weeks go by, and, so it sounds like you're really disciplined about, you know, you do it, but you don't put pressure on yourself to do it every single day. No, and I think that's what, you know, there are, there's there's a creative tempo. And for me, I need to tune into it. And, you know, there are some days when I'm really micro-oriented, and those days I can pick up a needle and thread and bead for hours on end and just bead and bead and bead. And then there are some days when I'm just loose and, and flying, and I know that painting is a better choice for that day. And so it's really, you know, it's touching in with your intuition and your your insides. Well, it sounds like you're very you're very in tune with the artistic muse that you kind of know what to do. Yeah. Listen to what your your uh, creative uh, sense is telling you. It's true. Yeah. Well, I think that's it's. It makes a lot more sense than powering through, um, forcing yourself <laughs> to make an entry when you just don't want to. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's some great advice. Um, and okay, so now we, if, when you do your journals, it sounds like that that is a jumping off point a lot of times for your work. Or do you find yourself sometimes just looking at your fabric and saying, you know what, I'm going to just make something? Or do, or do you always start with a sketch or a drawing or a painting and then no. move toward the fabric? No, I. Uh, the, you know, there are some examples on my website where I have just recreated a journal entry. I did see those on there. Uh-huh. And so I was curious about if that's commonly how you do that, do your creative, you know, create things, or if you're kind of mix and match, if you decide to cut some fabric and start sewing right away. Mm-hmm. I mix and match. Okay. I really do. I Some days, I, I some of those journal entries just say, Melanie, do it right now. And some days I might... Start something, just sew for a little while, see where it goes. And then I might open the journal and just say, can I add any imagery from here? And and some days, you know, the journals don't come into it at, at all. And it's just, let's see what might happen. How do you know, well, uh, actually, I want to hear a little bit more about your, um, dis- well, you haven't talked yet about surface design. As I know that was what you actually studied in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, if you can talk a little bit about um, some of the techniques you like to use and maybe your favorite um, surface design uh, projects that you've done. Mm-hmm. Of course, m- the latest one is always my most fabulous one. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So I um, just recently, uh, I guess one of my most exciting things just recently is that I discovered soy wax. Soy wax. Yeah, soy wax is, an, uh, you know, it's a plant-based wax, and it washes 
out of fabric in your home washing machine. It has a very low melting point, and it disintegrates in hot water. So you can use it like batik, but it's much easier to control. You don't need to use, you know, dry cleaning or, or negative environment. There's no negative environmental impact with that medium. So you can use it with paint or with dye, either way, and um, and you can wash it out in your sewing machine. I just discovered it. I'm just in love with it. And I don't know all of the possibilities that I can use it with yet. It's because it's a new medium for me. And how did you learn about it? I learned about it by um, reading other people's blogs. And I see. Actually, one day, one of my friends looked at me and she said, Melanie, why aren't you using soy wax? And I, I looked at her and I said, well, why should I be using soy wax? And she said, because you can wash it out in your sewing machine. You mean your washing machine? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're all interchangeable. In exactly, exactly. So, um, yes, you can wash it out in your washing machine. So then I just had to check it out and then I had to buy 25 pounds of it. Oh, my goodness. Because I knew I would fall in love. So it's kind of like all or nothing for you. If you're into it, you're way into it. Yeah, if I'm into something, I will know every last thing about it before, uh, you know, the package comes to my door. Oh, <laughs> so has it arrived yet? Have you started working with it? I have. Yeah. Yeah, just yesterday I went into an old junk store and I bought an old antique potato masher. doesn't look like the ones that we have these days. And and I'm specifically, I bought it specifically for my wax pot because you can use it sort of like a stamp. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that'll... it's metal, it retains heat a little bit longer and the wax will stay on it and stay liquid for a little longer. Oh, that's very cool. Well, you sent the samples that you sent for me to take a look at had the foil mm-hmm. on fabric, and it sounds like that's something that um, was that the latest greatest thing before you discovered soy wax. <laughs> was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just well, that was I. The pink, the pink one that I showed you. Yes, I hand dyed the background that pink color, and then I screen printed those circle designs. So, what color was this piece when you started? White. It was just a white piece of fabric. It was white. Yeah. Okay. I um I buy fifty yard bolts of um of white cotton broadcloth, and I just I keep that downstairs in my um in my wet studio. And I so I dyed that pink, um, and then I screen printed on top of it, and I still wasn't satisfied. And I you know Wonder Under. Do you know about Wonder Under? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. It's a double-sided glue. One one side has a paper on it. Right. And you can use it with fabrics. And, you know, you iron the glue side onto your fabric, you peel the paper off, and then you flip it and iron, you know, your piece of glued fabric onto another piece of fabric. Well, the Wonder Under comes off of the paper backing. And I was looking at it one day, and I said to myself, oh, my goodness, I could put that in a coffee grinder and make a powder out of it. And so that's, so I did, and the um, it works fabulously with the metallic foil. And so what you did is this, what you, you take the wonder under, you peel the paper off, put it into a coffee grinder, and then mix it with the foil powder. No, it becomes the powder. Oh, become, okay, it becomes the powder. It becomes a glue powder. Okay, and then how do you... you sprinkle the glue powder onto the fabric. Okay. 
and lay the the metallic foil sheet on top of that. Okay. And with a um, an ironing cloth, put an ironing cloth on top of the foil and iron it, the whole thing together, iron that sandwich together. Okay. And then you peel the metallic foil paper off and it leaves the paper behind where the glue powder had been. So do you take um, kind of, how do you get the, um, you just kind of sprinkle it or, or your your um, powdered substance on there and, and where, where you ever you want the foil to stick? Yes. Okay. And then are you, so then it only sticks where the powder is? Yes. I see what you're saying. Okay. Because, you know, it, it can't stick where there is no glue. Exactly. Now, so how does one just decide one day to put, Wonder under into a coffee grinder because I guess I've never I come up with some crazy stuff sometimes but I've that just wouldn't even occur to me. I mean, how did you? I mean, I, well, there is a product out there. I, I think it's like I think it's called Bondo or okay. I, there is some sort of a product like that, but I didn't feel like ordering it and I couldn't find it locally. Okay, so you just decided to improvise. So I decided to improvise, and when I saw the Wonder Under coming off of the background paper, I was like, oh, there's my Bondo. And I guess the thing we should emphasize for people, I'm sure, I would like to think that our listeners know better, <laughs> you would not endorse um, using your coffee grinder for coffee after that, because <laughs> <laughs> heavens, heavens know, knows no, what actually, would happen to a person if they um, ingest it, which I am I, assuming would not be yeah, no. very good. Mm-mm. I have this one coffee grinder that I had used. I had gotten into making um, incense for a little while. Oh, okay. So that was, uh, at what point in your, what stage of your life was that when you were making incense? In my 20s. In your 20s, okay. So, and, so I had that coffee grinder and I had written in marker on the top that said, not for food. (laughs) (laughs) To remind yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm really, you know, there's a lot of air in my head that sometimes I could get in trouble. Or you just don't want a visitor, you know, an out-of-town guest to stumble upon it and decide to grind some coffee. Oh, let me go grind my coffee. And then end up um, hospitalized for the remainder of the visit. Yeah, no, we don't want that. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like one of the things you really encourage just, you know, people to experiment with with things and, um, you know, see what, what... happens when you, because um, you, I mean, take it, you go from the white piece of fabric to dyeing it to stamping it. Right. And how do you make your stamps? I use, there are a couple of different ways. The one that I use more often than not is um, I get craft, I get sticky backed craft foam. Like you can get at any craft store, most any craft store. Okay. And um, so, you know, it has a sticky back. And so I will um, use that along with plexiglass to create my stamp. Okay, so are you cutting the plexiglass, um, just buying a big piece of plexiglass, cut it small so you can stick the foam to it? Mm-hmm. And then you can see through? Yeah. I think that was one of the best inventions when stampers started being made with clear backs. Yeah. So you can see, and it sounds like your way of making your own stamps um, do you use just the the foam that they sometimes use for little kids' craft projects? That that's, they that's, that's exactly it comes in multicolors. Yeah. Okay. It's, and I mean, some of the stamps you can you can buy pre-cut sheets. 
that already have the sticky back too. I see. And so you're, but you, it, I can tell from some of the designs, especially the circles here. Was that something you created yourself? Well, yeah, no, the circles were screen printed. Oh, they were screen printed. Okay. Yeah. And so what would be an example of, uh, do you make your own stamps as well, like cut shapes and stick them out of the sticky foam? Is that, do you do some of that? Well, the, um, I, I sent you two more pieces of fabric. Yeah, I see those here. And there's, okay. there's one that has blue foil, um, leaves. Yes. That was a stamp. Okay. And it was that a stamp that you made? Yes. Okay. And what I did with that was, I, I, I took the sticky back foam and I cut shapes of actual leaves. And I glued that onto my plexiglass. And then I glued the leaf onto the foam. Okay, so you cut it in the shape of the leaf, and then you cut a real, you stuck a real leaf onto the, 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 the stamp. Foam. Okay, and I'm assuming, was it a, a, you probably have to use a fresh leaf, like go pick a leaf. Yeah, go pick a leaf. Otherwise you're going to have it crumbling on your... Right, you need a fresh leaf. Yeah, so, well that's really interesting. So when I, uh, and I used the vein side of the leaf as the right side. So you get the impression. Yeah. And that, I just, I used Eileen's um, foil glue, I believe, Aileen's or Eileen's, I don't know how they pronounce that, that product name. And I painted that glue straight onto the leaf pattern. I see. And so I was able to get some of the actual veining pattern on the leaf into the foil, metallic foil stamp. So it looks like what you what you do is make your own kind of custom fat quarters I to do. then decide what I you're going to do next with them. Now, once you have how many how many of these little well they're not little but the, how many of these about fat quarter size pieces of fabric have you do you have that you've created yourself? I have twelve bins worth of them. Wow, and how big are the bins? They're um, I would say they're about twenty inches by ten inches by. Twelve. Okay, so they're pretty pretty large, and so you have. How do you have your fabric organized? I have them loosely organized by color in these plastic bins. Okay, and it's all cotton. All cotton. Although recently, I just started to get into using silks. Okay, and then what do you do um, from there once you've kind of enhanced the surface of this? I mean, taken the white fabric and dyed it, and you know, put foil on it, and stamped on it, and silk screened, and all that wonderful stuff. What do you do next? Then I cut it up and I sew it. <laughs> and now I have, you did send me along this um, miniature um, piece to look at, 4 by 6 And what do you call, I mean, this is the one with the chair on it. And it, is, would it be okay with you if I photograph this to put on the website so people have some idea of what we've been talking about here? Of course. Um, I think that would be helpful to them to be able to see. Um, and, um, and we'll also have links, of course, to your website. But mm-hmm. as far as this, the piece um, with the chair on it, now do you have a name for this piece? Um, no, I, I'm not sure. I have the, the chair, I have a chair series. Okay, okay. And, and so this so, was one, this is piece, one of the, one of the um, pieces in the series, is that? Right. Okay. And it, I don't know, I think I might have just called it Peaceful Chair, but I'm not sure. There, I have so many chair ones now, I'm not sure. Okay, well that's, that's okay. Uh, when did you, when did you make this piece? That was just... That was one year ago this weekend. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I teach periodically for my quilt guild. And so last year I um, taught a class called 
small works, big impact. Okay. And we, um, we as a group, made chairs. And so that was my um, workshop sample that I showed my students how to go about doing that. Now, it looks like you have, this is fabric that you created yourself, at least on the top it looks like. I don't know, the back looks, it has like kind of a ladybug pattern on the back. Is uh, that green fabric I created myself? Okay, you the made that. Is a commercial print. Oh, the ba- okay, the back's commercial. The front is screen a screen fabric you did. Um, you have there's tons of little stitching mm-hmm. um, on here. Is that hand done or, or machine? Hand. By hand. Wow, that must have taken quite some I, time. You know, it, uh, more often than not, my uh, my work takes a very long time because I really. You know, it's like I like to read novels, but if they're too thin, I won't read them because I really want to get into them. I you see. Know, like, need to something to hold on to. I need a storyline, and so my art goes along that line too. You know, if it the longer it takes, the happier I am. And so, did you do you have a third layer in? I mean, is there there's a tab and a bottom, mm-hmm. and and is there another piece of fabric in the center? Yes. Uh, see, all my work would be considered. Uh, a quilt. Okay. Whether or not it's intended for a bed. Because it's always that same quilting technique where it's a sandwich of fabric. Yes. Okay. Okay. It looks like you have some tooling on the top here for kind of I the, do. the way the light falls mm-hmm. to kind of give it that. That's really interesting. And then you went through with beads. And is the beads the beading your last very last step? Yes. Okay. Because it looks like even your border has beads on there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, beading is my last step. Well, and I see that it's really, and I looked at some of the pieces on your website too, and um, when you make, whether it's miniature or some of the larger pieces, it looks like you have a, a technique where you're you're using um, kind of like a, I don't know if it's a cotton thread or to kind of making a border and kind of almost a, a frame, a very a very interesting looking frame for your work. And is that, but underneath that, it feels kind of like there's something else there. Is that just folded fabric or do you... Put something else around the edge as a before you sew around it with the fa- with the um, thread. I I think that you're asking me about the whip stitched borders. Yes, yes. And so what I do there on on the what I do there is I will stitch it an eighth of an inch in from the very edge of the sandwich. Okay. And then um, and then I will take. Uh, either a single or a double thickness of pearl cotton or rayon pearl, and I will whip stitch the border. And it it looks like it has a little bit more of a substance because the the thread gives it a little bit of a bulk, and then you know the the edge where there are three you know a layer of fabric, a layer of batting, a layer of fabric again sort of splays just past the stitch line. I see. Okay. Yeah, because it does give it a very unique kind of, just, it unifies the whole piece. Yeah. Which makes it really, really interesting. Now, this, when I saw this, I am like a huge fanatic of postcards. Okay. Yeah. So I saw this and I thought, oh, I wonder if she's ever done any of those postcards where you make a fabric postcard and mail it. Um, have you ever, I know I would be, I, I don't think I'd have the courage to mail anything like this. I mean, you, this is a, a piece that you could tell hours went into this, and I would just be horrified that it wouldn't we'd get jammed in a machine at the post office or something. Um, but have you ever done any any kind of postcard art that's fabric out of I fabric? Haven't. Yeah, I haven't. I um, uh, David Walker inspired me to start in that size. He, I, I, 
I'm sure I have his name right. I used to get it wrong, but I think I committed it to memory. And he, what he did, and I took a day-long workshop with him, and he decided to do a performance piece where for 45 minutes straight, he put on a piece of music that was 45 minutes long. He wouldn't allow any of his students to speak, and he would just make a small four-by-six piece of art in that time. And so he's the one who, who encouraged me, who started me off in that size. And what do you like best? I mean, do you prefer this size of work, or do you prefer your larger pieces? I, I started to, to work small so that I could complete more pieces more quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, because it's common sense would say that obviously if it's smaller, you could probably finish it faster, but um, do, you enjoy, do you prefer the small pieces? you think if time wasn't a factor? I mean, do you like working that small? I love working small, and a, a large part of me feels like um, working small, like I can say just as much in a small format as I can in a big one. And, you know, it's sort of in artistically in the world, you know, bigger is better. Uh, fill a really large wall with a really big piece of art. But, you know, I haven't made it big, not in that kind of a way. And so the people that I sell my work to more often than not have smaller walls. Sure, <laughs> and, and I think... And people, smaller budgets. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's a big factor for people, especially if they're not big... Uh, they're not, they don't have a lot of disposable income. And I think these days right. with the economy as it is, depending on what industry people are working in, or if they're a budding artist themselves, um, you know, it's, it's hard to go out and spend, you know, three, four grand on a fantastic piece of art. Especially if you feel like, hey, maybe I should pay my house payment, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. or start my child's college fund. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard to balance those two, but with a smaller piece of art, um, the beauty of it is it's many times it's accessible then to people who love art. Maybe can't afford that big, huge, right. ma- massive piece. So it sounds like you're able to um, create faster and also satisfy some of the people who want to purchase your art with giving them something smaller. It's true. Yeah, and it's um, a very large part of why I work this way. And so, have you? How many four by six pieces have you made? Is this kind of the new wave of of your work? I mean, um, I have pro- I have probably made. Um, about 30 Yeah. Them? And how much time, the, the one that I'm going to, I'll post the picture of this um, chair piece on, on uh, Craft Sanity, and, and how much time went into this? Mm-hmm. Those pieces usually take four or five hours, start to finish. Okay. And do you finish them all, I mean, do you do it all at once, or do you um, do it in a couple different sittings? Um, a, a little bit of both. You know, when when I've got the time and I've started early enough in the day, I'll finish it in one sitting. I see. And and I don't, you know, I am also the type of person who likes to have more than one thing at once. Because if I get tired, you know, if my hand starts getting tired because of all the beating or something, I'll just pick up a different type of project and and keep sewing on that or working on that. Now, do you travel around with projects, like when you're, you know, whether you're taking the bus or whatever, are you always working on something? Yeah. I don't, I I can't, uh, yeah. 
So do you, so do, you do like, a, would you work on a four-by-six piece like the one that we're talking about um, on a bus or yes. in a restaurant? Or I do. I have, I have fabulous little bead boxes. They're very small. They can practically fit in my pocket. And I will just change out the beads per project and, and, and travel on the go. And so you bring all the beads you could possibly need for that project. Mm-hmm. What kind of reactions do you get when you're out doing, uh, working on your art in public? <laughs> um, people are often shyly intrigued. And I, I, it's very rare that people will actually say, what are you doing? Do you know, if it were me, I'd be all over them. I'd be like, where do you live and when can I come over? Right. <laughs> but um, more often than not, people can't take their eyes away, but they don't say anything. Yeah, they just kind of look and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, have you, when's the, where's the most unusual place that you've actually been working on a project? Well, I um, in this last week, I have sewn on the train at my husband's workplace in a coffee shop and in the park. Okay. So you kind of you really do take this wherever you go. That's great. That's really great. Yeah, I usually have a project with me at all times. Um, and just in case there's just a second of downtime, which is rare, but I do um, pull out a project. And uh, it, it's great because I find that if you ever get stuck someplace waiting longer than you expected, mm-hmm. um, it's all about anger management. People around <laughs> you people around you can be fuming that they're, you know, it's taking an hour at the doctor's office. And I'm just thinking, geez, this is an hour of time where I really have no choice but to, to wait. And here I am getting some good project time in. <laughs> so um, it's a way to kind of ease that um you know, anxiety of, of having to wait and getting upset. So looks like you fully embrace that as well. I do. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like last week I was sitting in a park and I had my journal with me and there is a homeless man sleeping. In you know, and I mean it was warm that day and he had a full winter coat on and his face looked so peaceful. And I just I was sitting there and drawing him and falling in love with him. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if he opened his eyes, he might scare me. I mean, who knows what's in there? Right. right. But at that moment, he was so quiet and peaceful, and and you know, on, he wasn't guarded. He was unguarded. It was just amazing to me. And so it's just like it's a it's a moment to just experience. And you I know? think a lot of times the moments pass us by if you're not looking at life that way, like where you're taking in these little. You know, these little things that a lot of people are too busy to notice. Right. So it really is interesting. I mean, art is everywhere. It really is. And it is more, it's it's also, I find, an experience as opposed to just these two- or three-dimensional things that we see, objects, it's it's experiences. So it sounds like you're fully in tune with seeing inspiration every place you go. I am. So I want to, I'm sorry, go ahead. Did you have, were you going to take that, expand on that? I just, for, for me... Art is more of a process. It's it's a meditation. You know, it's something. It's just it. It's a momentary break, and it's an experience. It's like communing with your surroundings. So it's just you know. And if I can take twenty minutes in a coffee shop and and just so, I it it transports me to a, a real. A sincere, honest place. Well, I think that 
it, it, what you're saying is just right on, and I think everyone has to kind of discover that for themselves to right. know what where their place is as an artist, like what they're going to really excel at, and it's all about the being in tune with your surroundings and, and just ex- in experimenting as you're doing every day, it sounds like, with with various um, products you see out there or just, uh, you know, what you can do with a coffee grinder that you might not have thought of before, <laughs> which is really interesting. And I want to um, just kind of, you know, see what you have to say as far as um, advice for you know, budding artists out there, maybe the 20-somethings who are trying to figure out, you know, what am I doing here? You know, what am I trying to figure, you know, how do I get going as an artist? Because I think a lot of people say, you know, it'd be so fun or so great to do art full-time, but they have no idea how to start. Um, what advice do you have for those type of people? For those, and and I think about this a lot, you know, like I I have been in the last couple of months training my replacement at my old job. So, um, and so I'm, I'm training a 24 or 6 year old. And very basically is to not make your goals so large that you can't attain them. You know, if you know that your art is throwing a pot, you know, a clay pot, mm-hmm. then, uh, work toward buying yourself a wheel. You know, and allow yourself a small bit of space to do it in you know create a bit of space and i mean it it might just be that you need to you know make what do they call you know roll out clay for a while and and do the snake building method with coils yeah yeah with coils or something but just allow whatever you can actually afford so that you can get your hands dirty and make little bits of art Every single day, you know, it's it's that, you know, just break your, your goals down. So it sounds like you're, you're talking about doing things in increments as opposed to saying, I want to be the most famous potter in the world. Right. Um, <laughs> start with getting the wheel. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and I think it's easier to it's, you feel like you're achieving something if you can right. go each step along the way. And I'm interested in your life as an artist. What do you find is the most challenging aspect? of being an artist? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, really, it's it's time management. It's telling people, no, I'm sorry, I would love to hang out with you Friday afternoon, but I need to make art that day. And you know, is that, do people, people understand? You know, they think, oh, she's available. Because you're doing art. Right. Like it's all fun and games and not really serious at all. Is that Right. How do people react when you say, no, I'm busy on Friday, I have to work on my art? Um, I, I get the, oh, uh, I'm sorry, okay, um, that sort of a thing. <laughs> like they're kind of surprised? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and um, but then, I mean, the other thing, too, is I, I do try to gather people around me who understand. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure, sure. And so uh, I will often say, you know, I can't do that, but I can do this, and and try to give alternatives. Now, do you ever collaborate with other people? Like if you say I'm going to be working on my art and someone says, hey, I'd like to work on my art too. Um, <laughs> yes, I have a very good friend, and um, she, <laughs> I like to call her my creativity pimp. <laughs> because... <laughs> 
Because I, you know, like a few weeks ago, I she was over at the house, and I have this little alcove in my sewing room. I just blogged about it, so it's a dormer, you know, and and. So I said to her, you know, I have these table legs downstairs, and I've been wanting to create a table, but I don't know how to do it. And so she she looked at me, and she was like, oh, let me see. And so we went down to my my uh, garage where the table legs were, and she was like, next Friday. And I was like, okay. And so, yes, I spent, you know, the next Friday she came over, and I had this baby quilt commissioned to complete, and I sewed while she built a table. Oh, wow. And and so and we got to hang out. Well, that's great. That's great. I think that's really fun. I always love to have a chance to work on my projects with other people who love projects just as much as I do. And I mean, um, this weekend, too, maybe this is more along the lines of what you were talking about, it, but I rent a cabin and at a religious retreat center for myself and nine girlfriends. And we all bring our own projects, and um, our meals are made for us. And we just gather and sew, bead, paint for two nights and three days. Wow! And so, and that's just another way to enable. You know, it's it's all about creatively enabling yourself to do what you need to do. Well, and it's, it must be a wonderfully creative environment too. If everyone's, you can just probably. The creativity is probably overflowing out of out of the place. It is. Yeah. And then, I mean, and we can critique each other's work, give suggestions. It's a real growing and supportive environment. And you know, we've been doing it. I think this is our fourth or fifth time. And so, and it's the same women each time. So we get to know each other in on a deeper level than we might have been able to otherwise. Well, and I definitely want to talk about, um, you are in the spring, you have a, an article in the spring issue of Quilting Arts magazine, mm-hmm. and th- this has to be pretty exciting for you. It really is. It's a really cool magazine. Oh, and I tell you, you know, I mean, I wrote that article back in November, and so, and I, you know, being a bit of an overachiever, I got it done on uh, a month ahead of time. And then I had to wait for four or five months for it to come out. <laughs> so it's really out, and I'm really looking at it right now, and um, it's on page 20, and you're, it's a resist printing um, fabric with paper snowflakes. Uh, really interesting. So it's making you make the patterns out of freezer paper. And if you can kind of give an overview, I mean, ideally, obviously, we'll direct people to this so if they're interested. Right. Um, they know where to find it because that, that's going to be on newsstands, I'm assuming, for a while yet. Yeah, um, gonna, for the next three months, I think. Yeah, so um, it's, and there's, um, it just the whole magazine is just filled with some really cool projects. And It really is. On page 24, um, they can, you know, people can see also another example of, of one of your miniature pieces that okay. is really, really cool as well. And But can you explain a little bit about this technique, just kind of an overview um, sure. without stealing too much away from, from the article? Uh-huh. I, um, years ago, I... Quilters use freezer paper to make templates. And the thing about it is that it has a shiny side, and the shiny side can be ironed onto cloth and reused, you know, three or four times. And so I had been thinking about that as as a concept when I sat down one day and just started to cut, you know, traditional 
snowflakes, like you do when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. And I still do. I I love doing that. (laughs) Every Christmas, that's what I do. Uh Uh-huh. And so I, you know, and as I was sitting there and, and cutting geometric shapes, I thought to myself, wow, why, why can't I cut rabbits out of this? You know, and, and so it, that's where it all began. And, um, I, you know, at that point I didn't have, right now I use my, my basement as a wet studio, what I call a wet studio, and I will do any process that, you know, requires, you know, dye or paint or anything wet. And so at that point, I didn't have that wet studio. And so I was working mostly in, in paint, which is much easier to control than is dye. And, uh, you know, freezer paper can become a resist as you, if you work on fabric with it. And so after I started creating, you know, actual images out of my snowflakes, I, it just, it went together. And so to create the resist, you're ironing the freezer paper onto the fabric? Right. And then does it just pull off, or do you have to do go through a process to get it to come off? It, um, I, you don't need to iron it very hard. You just sort of need to tack it, tamp it down. Just so it's temporarily there. So it's temporarily there. And because you're, you know, using paint, I, I daub paint over the freezer paper. So it's controlled. It's not saturated. and Right. And, and so pretty much... Right after, you know, you feel like you've put enough paint over the design. If you can just uh, tug the fabric just very slightly at a bias angle, the freezer paper will, will come right off and you can reposition it and tamp it down again and use it over until it's, it's too fuzzy, until it's fuzzified. That's the new word. <laughs> it's fuzzified and you can't use it anymore. Well, and you give a very specific example or directions on how to even make the daubers that you're painting with, and yeah. and so it, there's a lot of it's step by step that people should it be able to step. follow it very very easily. And um, well, that brings me to what, what else do you have going on? I mean, what, what's your next uh, next big thing? I know you've been in several shows last year, and what's, what are your plans this year? What are you going to be doing? Well, this year my my creative goal for myself is to find a publisher that I can write a book about all the different processes that I do. Um, and I want to start seriously getting my work seen in galleries, and I feel like I have enough uh, bigger pieces to begin to do that. And um, really, those are my two major goals. And then to continue to get my work seen in, in smaller venues, you know, juried shows and that sort of thing, as I continue to work on my larger goals. So it sounds like, are you in the process of phasing out of your job completely, your day job? I am. Okay, so you're training somebody else, and you're down to two days. So, um, well, I think it's it's wonderful that you're you're making the transition. It sounds like you've really found your niche um, with developing some very unique-looking uh, pieces. And um, is there anything you'd like to tell people about um, the whole foil-on fabric uh it, as a, because we'll post that project on Craft Sanity, and so people can kind of try it out. Um, and do you have any uh, just advice for them as they, you know, follow these instructions, things to keep in mind? Um, I, not specific to the foil. I think that the this application works best on um, 
pieces that have a couple of different um, applications. You know, if it's dyed and then you maybe use the freezer paper resist, the last step you might do would be to apply the foil. So the more complex you're able to, to create your fabric, the more processes that you put into it, the better it looks, and your foil will always be the last thing that you add. Okay. And so this is really kind of, if people want to kind of experiment with a surface de- design technique, um, you know, they could just pick fabric out of their stash of fabric and try some of these things and maybe then Absolutely. master it before they apply it to something they spent a lot of time dyeing and Right. And silk screening. It's always good to do a sample. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure people... I, I taught a, a small class in the freezer paper resist. And people were so, you know, I supplied, you know, 8 by 11 pieces of white fabric so that people could just iron a sample onto, a freezer paper resist sample onto the white fabric and then try daubing on top of it. And... They were so resistant to just experiment. And it's very important, very, very important to experiment on something you're not in love with before you start your project. So, so people were hesitating to, to do the, the, the sample? They wanted to go right to the finish. They wanted to go right to the full color design. Wow, I would have been afraid to do just go directly to the full color. You know, and there is one woman who kept asking me, well, what's going to happen if? It's like, well, maybe you should experiment. <laughs> and so, and, and so that was my thing. I was it's like, well, I think that you should take the white piece of cloth and experiment on that. And she looked at me and she said, but it's white. And I said, I know, but I can't tell you what's going to happen on your colored cloth until you try something out on the white cloth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that's the fun of, of teaching, that yeah. sometimes you have students who totally get it and some that... Maybe don't, but um, it's great that they're there either way, you know, yeah. to have the experience. And it does add to um, just I the character you, of the I class. I learned a lot from them, that's for sure. Oh, I think teaching is probably the best. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a wonderful way to learn, it really for is. sure. And um, it sounds like you also, you also do a little weaving. I do. I, in textile design school, I did an entire weaving portfolio. And prior to that, just just prior to going into school, I was taking weaving courses at a local school. I don't have my own loom, and I absolutely love weaving. So I got into weaving um, my last semester in college. Uh-huh. Uh, I went to Central Michigan University, and uh, my roommate was an um, art student, and we never had a class together. Uh-huh. So we thought, well, you know, senior year, let's take a class. and. Uh-huh. Sign up for weaving. She hated the class. I absolutely loved it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we were working on extremely old looms, though. They were really quite terrible to work with. They were string heddles, and they were the strings were always breaking, and the things oh, were not horrible. in very good shape. However, I absolutely loved it because I thought, you know what, I, I can see, I had a vision past, like if I had a better loom, just the possibilities would be endless. So um, I graduated from college, you know, got a job working as a newspaper reporter, and had a lot of extra time on my hands because when you're not cramming for to study, you know, um, right. my husband and I worked opposite shifts, and I had I didn't know anybody in the town I lived in, and thought, well, I'm going to throw myself into this. So I took weaving lessons and bought a loom, and then that loom gave birth to a second loom, and then oh, pretty soon a spinning wheel appeared, and 
right. um, you know, I kind of got full tilt into that. And I was making chenille scarves and, and um, rugs, blankets, and, and all that pretty steadily until I went back to school for a master's degree. So, um, uh-huh. But it, it's addictive and, and fun. And, and, and do you still have that weaving bug? I do. And just recently I, I interviewed for a job weaving rugs. Really? And so I was, yeah, I didn't end up getting the job because I, I was priced out of the, out of the running. But, um, yeah, I would love to be able to do that a little bit more. Well, and the cool thing about weaving too is you can make, you can make a loom pretty much out of, you know, anything. Right. You know, you can make some, you know, kind of nice little looms to, that are portable and so forth. But, um, yeah, it's, it's great fun. I just had to ask you about that because I know you'd mentioned in one of your emails that you, had an interest in weaving, and I just I just love weaving. But I love just about any kind of art form, really. So that isn't a problem for me to relate to someone who does art. Um, <laughs> but um, well, I wish I really wish you the best of luck with your your goals for this year and um, to, to continued success with your getting your work shown and 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 viewed and purchased by um, art lovers everywhere. I don't know if there's anything you want to say now that we can kind of end the final note on just how you were able, because I think you agree that that art has been very therapeutic for you. and It's been incredibly therapeutic. What do you and think would have happened had you never discovered art? Like, really? I, um, the thing is, is I, I think what I, I decided to do in my life was to, um, to supplement my um, addictive, my negative addictions, or not supplement, but... Uh, Maybe replace? replace my negative addictions with positive ones. And so I decided that my positive addiction would be art. And so even today, you know, if I get into a a fight with a friend or if my husband and I aren't meshing as well as we'd like to be, I just take that as an opportunity to go upstairs or downstairs and make some art. And it helps me just to, to aerate my mind. And to let go. Well, so, and some really wonderful things come out too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, it's it's really important. It's so easy to get mired in the negative daily experience. It's really important as artists to keep that clear and uh, and available in a positive way. Well, I think that's wonderful advice, and I think a great way to end because it kind of ties everything together. Right, and um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of feedback you get. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, some people will say, "Hey, you know, that really helped and made a difference for me." Right. So that's really wonderful. But thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're welcome. Thanks again to Melanie for sharing her story. Uh, I hope it inspires others to make a crafty change in their lives. Two quick announcements. First, thank you all for entering uh, to win a copy of Lee Radford's new book, One Skein: Thirty Quick Projects to Knit and Crochet. You guys sent in some fabulous leftover yarn ideas, and I'm posting them online, so be sure to take a look. And I'll keep, I think I'm going to keep that idea list going. So if you have something fun to add to the list, please send that along to me. I'll continue to post photos and suggestions. And now, to end all the suspense, the lucky winner is Nancy Bourne of Yakima, Washington. Yay, Nancy! <laughs> um, in her entry... Uh, Nancy said that she uses the scraps, uh, her yarn scraps, to make um, felted bags. And uh, let's see what else she says she makes here. Um, actually, you know, she makes, she felts projects, um, including drawstring pouches, 
and clutches or stash bags. She didn't send us a photo because she doesn't have a digital camera, but that's okay, Nancy. Um, I'm not a technology snob, so <laughs> that's not a problem. Um, she's, it sounds like she's looking for an idea for superwash sock, sock yarn. She's got a mounting collection of that, leftovers. And she also has big plans to knit uh, a cozy for her iPod and put it on an iCord uh, necklace strap so she can listen to shows like Craft Sanity, I'm sure, um, <laughs> uh, while she's doing the dishes, you know, regardless of whether or not her clothes have pockets. So she said she, that she loved uh, Lee's um, book, Alternates, and would love to win a copy of One's Gain. So, well, today's your lucky day. And thanks again to Lee Radford and uh, the folks at Interweave um, for uh, agreeing to the kind of sponsor the contest. Um, that's really cool, and uh, I think a lot of fun. So, well, we'll have to do. I'm going to continue to do contests every now and then. So, um, stay tuned. We'll we'll have another one coming up. I'm sure in the future here. Um, okay, the second announcement is for my fellow Crafty Podcasters, Sister Diane of Crafty Pod Fame, and I are kind of collaborating on a project about um, podcasting and crafty podcasts. And uh, what I'd like to do is I I have kind of been uh, podcasting kind of in my own little craft closet, um, kind of in isolation in a very messy craft closet. And (laughs) I have not really had um, made the time and made it really a priority to connect with other crafty podcasters. So I want to do that now. It's not that I'm a snob. It's just um, I just haven't had the time and I've never really been a socialite so you know it's (laughs) I do a lot of one-on-one stuff but anyway I putting a call out to fellow crafty podcasters send me your promos your 30 second promos and um, I'm I'm gonna play those um, I want to play those especially on this show that I'm gonna be doing about crafting you know about podcasts I'll play I kind of I'll play yours if you play mine kind of deal here and you can send me an email with your promo and then you'll be able to find a link to mine uh, on craftsanity.com I'm hoping just to kind of network a little bit more with you guys if um, help you help kind of listeners of Craft Sanity see what else is out there they don't already know because um, we all have something cool to offer about crafting. Okay, so I think that's a wrap. Uh, rambles on a little bit there. Try not to do that, but hopefully you'll forgive me. Have a great and fabulous week, and don't forget to craft sanity when times get tough. And oh yeah, okay, one last thing before I go. This is like the ending that never ends, I apologize. This week, Adrena Thorpe, geez, I hope I have that pronounced it right, um, is going to play us out with a, um, a song from the Podsafe Music Network called Fly, Fly, Fly. The song has nothing to do with this week's show, so if you're trying to figure out the connection, there isn't one. I just like the song, and I hope you like it too. Have a fabulous week. Craft sanity, my friends.
Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guest and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.